Well, today we're continuing forward in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here, this is week 13, uh, and we're traveling together all across all the congregations through this sermon series, which is crazy because Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is one sermon for Jesus. It's 17 sermons for us, right? Uh, If you've been around Frontline for any length of time, you know this is kind of one of those varsity level length uh, sermon series. We're typically right around six to, to eight weeks, but this is like, okay, we're going to do some overtime with Jesus here because this is a pretty impactful sermon he delivered. His first sermon in his earthly ministry has become sort of the foundational document for the, the believers throughout the history of the church on what it looks like for discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so today here in, uh, in chapter 7, this is the finale. This is the, the fireworks. This is the closing uh, words of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is again going to take us to the topic of prayer for the second time. Um, and there's a lot more to say around that, and we'll get to that in just a second. But that's the topic today. And so I want to begin by just asking you a question. Think about this with me. When you think about prayer, what comes to mind? When you think about prayer praying, what comes to mind? So I ask that question because even in a room this size, who all, all of us believe the same thing, <laughs> there are a variety of thoughts present in even this room, right? So for some in our culture, prayer is like a moment of silence. Like that's what prayer is at a basketball game or a sporting event or some sort of memorial service. Let's take a moment of silence. That's prayer for some people. Some people would see prayer as firing one up to the man upstairs, right? Whatever that means, shooting guns or firing something off to the man upstairs, that's prayer for some people. Maybe prayer is kind and warm thoughts toward those who are having a hard time. Our thoughts and our prayers are with you, right? We're just sending good juju in your direction, right? We're just kind of wishing warm better things over in your general vicinity, right? Maybe prayer for some of you is, or some people is zinning out. I just want to zin out. I just want to numb out. I want to Netflix and totally go away. And I want to zin out and through meditation or prayer or whatever. Um, I want to just totally let all of my emotions fall away. For others, prayer is wishful thoughts about the future. I just want to rehearse good things in my future, in my mind, and just thinking about the future with some sort of positive energy is prayer, right? Maybe maybe another way, last way to think about it, um, but just to kind of put all these things on the table, for others, prayer is self-esteem therapy, right? So I'm going to rehearse positive things about myself, positive things about my dignity and my worth and my value in the world. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like me. Yeah, for you old school SNL people, right? Yeah, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone people like, so I'm rehearsing sort of cathartic self-esteem therapy. That's prayer. We're all over the room. For some of you, when you think about prayer, it's this exciting, energetic thing. You have a charismatic background. Boy, when I pray, things get done in the heavenlies, right? And so you're like, in Jesus' name, fired up. Let's go, right? For others of you, when you think about prayer, it's actually a point of tension. It's actually a point of conflict. Because what you think about when you think about prayer is prayers unanswered. Ways where you feel like your prayers have hit the ceiling. Others of you... When you think about prayer, 
you're just indifferent. You're just indifferent. Like I don't, I don't pray. I don't not pray. I, I just kind of am, am indifferent about prayer. But underneath all of this, here's why I mentioned all of that this morning. Underneath all of this, there's a revealer for us in what we think about ourselves, what we think about God, and what we think about where true hope comes from. Prayer is this kind of truth serum. Regardless of what we would say out loud about ourselves, God, and hope, prayer reveals what we really believe, what we really believe. What we think about prayer most often reveals what we think is most important in life. So, for example, in your prayers, are they mostly about money, finances? Are they mostly about safety, health? Are most of your prayers about career blessing? God, give me this promotion, give me this raise, give me this sort of uh, trajectory of advancement? Is it mostly about money, health, safety, career blessing for those single? Is, it, is most of your prayer about finding a spouse? What's interesting about prayer is it can actually reveal, even if we are praying to God in Jesus' name, our prayers just might reveal what we're actually worshiping. If our prayers orbit around a certain topic or theme, most often, even if we're praying to God, the God of the Bible, in Jesus' name, it might actually reveal what I really want is that thing. You're cool. I'm with you so long as you can get me that thing. But if you can't, we'll all find a way to get that thing. Right? Sometimes even our Christian prayers can reveal what we're actually worshiping. And so prayer, what's interesting about it, um, there's others of you who go, well, I, I don't really pray at all. And even for you, I would say, well, you're therein lie revealing something about where you think hope from, comes from. I don't need to pray because I got this. I don't need to pray because I'm doing, I don't need to bother God with this. I'm doing just fine. And then if prayer shows up, typically prayer is mealtime blessing or crisis management, right? Whatever it takes to make the pain stop. And if prayer is a bullet in my arsenal, that's fine, right? But what's crazy about prayer is it's not distinctly a Christian thing. People of all kinds of faith backgrounds pray. You don't have to be Christian to pray. Buddhists pray, Muslims pray, right? Hindus pray, all kinds of people pray. And yet prayer is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. So, so for other kinds of faiths, prayer t- is about appeasing the divine. I want to I go through a religious ritual to appease the divine and get favor or blessing. But for Christians, prayer is altogether different. We don't pray to appease God. He's already been appeased by the sacrifice of Jesus. He's already pleased with us. We don't pray in order to get some sort of blessing from him. We've already been blessed in every way. We don't pray to get him to notice us. He's already intensely noticed us by shed blood, empty tomb, and doing everything possible to remove every obstacle possible to have us. Prayer for the Christian isn't to get something, it's because we already have everything. And so now we breathe from the overflow, right? Christian prayer is entirely different. On the other hand, other faiths will pray, right, in order to sort of achieve some sort of nirvana, 
right? Like I want to totally mellow out and release all of the pressures, desires, tensions, and pulls of this world to achieve a state of emotional nothingness. Christians, though, for us, prayer is not about emptying. It's about filling. We want to be filled with the presence of God. We want to be filled with the truth of God. We want to be filled with the promises of God, with the people of God, praying to a common father with a common older brother, bearing together a common spirit who now fills us with everything good for life and godliness, right? Christian prayer is about filling. And so I'll move into the text, but regardless of where you are today, Varying degrees in the room, all of us could say prayer is a big deal. Prayer is important, right? All of this rehearsal, just to kind of get down, all of us believe something about prayer and it's important to us. Prayer is also really important to Jesus. Now for the second time in his sort of penultimate sermon, he's addressing this issue of prayer. And again, it's in the finale closing to this sermon. The first time in the Lord's Prayer, he gives us a structure and a model how to pray. Pray like this. But this time, when he talks about prayer, he gives us heart. And he gives us perspective. I'll show you what I mean. Look back at verse 7. The first thing, Jesus commands our prayers. It says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So if you've had any time in church, this is a really popular, well-known verse. You've probably been to Mardell or to Kirkland's and seen some beautiful crochet of this that you can actually buy and put in your home, right? Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. I want that on my wall, right? It's a really popular Verse, But what Jesus is talking about here is a language of pursuit. This is a language of pursuit. This is not casual language. This is not ceremonial language. This is not cathartic language. This is not occasional language. This is language of intensity and urgency. And what's so wild about this command, God is commanding our pursuit of him. Action verbs. He's commanding our pursuit of him. But don't forget who is speaking these words to us. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us, right? The only way we have these words is because God has pursued us first to deliver these words to us. He's not commanding something of us that he hasn't himself first done toward us. This is language of pursuit, yet he's pursuing us with these words. You see, it's beautiful. Jesus himself has lived out these words first. Has he not sought you when you were wandering from him? Has he not knocked on your door that you might open it to him? Has he not asked you to follow him? He hasn't discriminated. He hasn't profiled. He hasn't, right? Come. Follow me, the request. You've received from the blessing that Jesus is talking about here. He's now actually saying, step into the blessing. Step into the blessing that's come toward you. So I I mention it this way because it's very easy for us to get confused into thinking that somehow when we pray, God is avoiding us or God is ignoring us. The problem is our feelings lie 
Our feelings lie to us. Truth remains the same. God never avoids you. God never ignores you. Why? Because he pursued you. The only reason you know these words is because he delivered them to you. He's not avoiding you or ignoring you. Your feelings weren't raised from the dead. Jesus was, which means his words are true forever. Our feelings just have to catch up. Hear what's true. You say, but yeah, but I'm the kind of person like, I've seen some stuff. I've done some stuff. I've said some things. I've been some places. God doesn't, God doesn't hear from people like me. I do well just to participate in the corporate prayers that are on the screen. Like I don't do my own personal ones because I don't, I'm not the kind of person God hears from. Well, look down to verse 8 if that's your objection. Because notice what Jesus says. For everyone who asks receives. He doesn't stereotype He doesn't profile. He doesn't make distinction. For everyone who asks, receives, except you, sir, and your situation. No. This is a universal invitation. Everyone, busted, ragtag, well-to-do, educated, uneducated. I have the words. I don't have the words. Everyone who asks, receives. And the intensity of these words doesn't so much come across in the English language. We love these verbs, but what's happening in the original language is that they're given to us. I know you love grammar, so let me bless you. Here's your Easter egg. These words come to us in the present active indicative, which means they suggest a continual ongoing action. What Jesus is saying with these verbs, ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, seek and keep seeking. Jesus is literally saying to us, badger your father. Don't leave him alone. Don't leave him alone. You don't, it's actually impossible for us to ever bother God, but Jesus is essentially saying, I dare you to try. I, so, so he's actually giving us an overcorrective because most of us don't even try. <laughs> You never bother God. He's pursuing you to say, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, bother me, try. I promise you can't, but test my patience. I'm a dad of four kids, all under eight years old. Dad, 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 dad. Vacation is awesome, right? God isn't like me. God isn't like you. Pepper him pepper him. I'm belaboring this because I think that (laughs) one of the reasons that we end up no-showing on God, one of the reasons I think we end up running around on him to other suitors is because somewhere deep down, there's a thought that he might be against us. I'm not going to call out because he, he might be against me. And so we have this defensive detachment thing that we'll do. I'll go ahead and walk around on you. I'll go ahead and pursue other people in the case that you actually are against me. I was ignoring you first. We'll self-sabotage. I'll ignore you out of the fear that you might just ignore me. I beat you to the punch. You don't play me like that. We have this self-sabotage thing that we'll do. But Jesus is telling us with these commands in our prayers Lay down your guns. Lay down your fears that he's against you. 
He's not. He's pursued you with an invitation to pepper him. So Isaiah 62 says the same thing that Jesus is telling us here, just an Old Testament version. Look at what it says. You who put the Lord in remembrance, this is talking about those who pray, it tells us a command, take no rest, but I love verse seven. So you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest, verse seven, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The scriptures just told us, make God's job difficult if you dare. Give him no rest. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm going to badger you with this until it's like on earth as it is in heaven. Ask, knock, seek. The early church took this command seriously. Hear this quote, this commentary on third century Christians from Tertullian, an early church father in Carthage. It says, at their core is prayer in which the members would gather together, approach God, struggle with God, even do violence to God that he may grant their request. They implore God, not only for their own concerns, but for the concerns of the world. Their meetings were occasions in which members would mass their forces to wrestle God in prayer. That doesn't sound like us. Our prayers are far too domesticated. Do violence to God. Mass our forces together. Struggle. Wrestle. Why? Because he's the only one who makes a difference. Like sometimes we feel like, I'm hesitant to bring on my request to him. I'm not sure he's going to answer, so I'll just hedge my bets on all of this. Right? Prayer is by definition request. By definition, sometimes we got to think, well, I can't bring my request to him early. I got to warm him up a little bit. I got to tell him how awesome he is. I got to tell him thank you for a bunch of stuff. Right? I have the ACTS model of prayer, adoration, confession. I'm really bad. You shouldn't bless me. But thank you so much, God, for Jesus. Now I got my requests. No, man. Give him no rest. Ask, seek, knock. It's by definition request. He's inviting and so you say, well, I, I, okay, I get what you're saying, but I don't know what to say. Like when I pray, it gets like super awkward silence and that's like super weird. So my phone is tempting and I just, glowing screen is better for me. I don't do well with silence. Okay, so if you're a person who's like, I don't really know where to go in prayer. Jesus has just given us a really good model. Ask. What do you want to ask? There's no, like, limitation. Ask except for this. Ask. This is translation for take off the superhero cape. It doesn't look cool anyway, right? Ask. It says, seek. What are you seeking? Like, what? where, where do you want clarity? Where's their fog? Where, where are you... Groping through life, seek. And, and walk that into God's presence and tell him about it. Knock. Like, wh- where 
are there closed doors? Where is there closing in your life, emotions, relationships? You're like, I, I, I need, I've been pushing, it doesn't work. God, can you push? I need to push. I need you to open. So, so there's no like vernacular around this. It's just set, street level, ask, seek, knock. Curbside prayer. Jesus prefers it that way. So this passage opens with a command, give God no rest. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is he gives us an assurance. Lest you think, I'm not sure how it's going to go, rest assured, I'll tell you how it's going to go. Right? Verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And gives us a story. Or which one of you, if he has a son, asks him for bread? Would you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, because all of our kids love fish, would you give him a snake? If then you who are evil, selfish, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more through your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay, so if you're like me, I read these verses. There's some pretty, pretty great comforting things here. If you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, it'll be open. There's some assurance. And you don't have, you're not praying to someone who you're like, which side of the bed is he on today, right? He doesn't give snakes or stones. He gives good things to those who ask. Right? He's your father. So there's some assuring things here, but there's also some confusing things here. So like the bottom line, here, here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is telling us, bottom line, then we'll do some work. The first thing Jesus tells us in this assurance is that no prayer that you pray will go unheard, ignored, or avoided by God. No prayer. No prayer without exception. He will act every time we come to him in prayer. Just baseline, that's what he's telling us. Every single time he acts, The second thing Jesus is telling us is he's relentless with us in this sermon on the fatherhood of God. 17 times in two chapters, Jesus calls God Father. 17 times. If we were part of his original audience, we would have left going, man, that preacher really talked about Father God a lot, right? Like it might even been a critique we would have like, gosh, he just used some other word, Jesus, you know? Like it was like his filler word, um, was father to him. 17 times in two chapters, he refers to God as father. He's assuring us that our father only gives good things. Now, that's baseline. So if we just stopped here and we were able to receive what Jesus is telling us with no religious baggage and no daddy wounds, we would go, wow, prayer is really simple. Every time you pray, you get a response and you don't got to worry about some sort of, you know, manipulative, deceitful, no-show dad. Like he's attentive and he's going to do stuff that's good. Prayer is like really easy. I'm not even sure why we're having this sermon, right? Those things are comforting and they're true, but we do have religious baggage. We do have father wounds, 
And it doesn't mean that our religious baggage and our father wounds all of a sudden diminish what Jesus is saying as though, well, because I'm like church busted and because my dad was crazy, I should just put a big asterisk by this passage because it's not really meaning what it's saying. That's not what we do with it. But it is to say we want to be eyes wide open. We want to be intellectually honest about this. Because, right, like there's been times where we've asked and haven't received. Like there's been times where we've asked, we like we've, done, we've given him no rest and it got worse. Like there's been times where you've asked for a marriage to be healed that ended in divorce. There's times you've asked for a loved one to be healed of illness and it ended in death. There's times we've sought and we didn't find anything. Right? There's times we have knocked and it stayed closed shut. And so you're like, man, this is beautiful things about prayer, but we also have to recognize our functional experience and go, I need ministry here. On top of that, we do have daddy wounds. So like you're saying one thing about ask, seek, knock, but then you mentioned father, and now you have baggage religiously and familial baggage. It's like baggage on baggage. So what do we do with this, right? Because then there's also some really bad teaching that's come around this with like the name it, claim it gospel that's just going to tell us, well, the reason you don't have stuff in your life is you got to speak it. You got to speak it out. You got to, I'm going to have that BMW, right? Get the negative energy out of your life. BMW language, fancy neighborhood language, jobs and promotions language, checks in the mail kind of language. You name it and claim it, right? There's been some bad teaching like that, like just as though spirituality is just positive energy or something. And then like the prosperity gospel grabs a hold of this verse and does some major damage with it. The reason you don't have stuff in your life is you're not asking. This is like, you know, this is Oprah God. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Checks in the mail, right? And it's just prosperity gospel. He's a good father. He just unloads on his kids. And the reason you don't have is because you don't have enough faith and it's like faith shaming, right? So now we have religious baggage, family baggage, religious bad teaching, untold numbers of people have been abused spiritually with lazy teaching on this text. So what do we do? <laughs> like, do? Do we just put an asterisk here and go, Jesus doesn't really mean it? It was just sort of like, he got, he got really excited in the Sermon on the Mount and it was like, oh, I wish I could edit those things. I don't think so. So, so here's a couple of things. This assurance is real assurance, but there's two things I want us to anchor in as we understand what to do with what Christ is saying here, right? So here's the first thing. You and I need to slow down and be formed by what Jesus is saying here around Father God. So here's why I say that. Because when the fatherhood of God starts to get mentioned very often we just run past this either because we've heard it before and we think we're so familiar with it that yeah, 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 get on to the other stuff. I got the father thing down. Or we have so much baggage around earthly fatherhood that we don't know what to do with it. On both sides, we run right past it. 
I've already told you, Jesus mentions Father God 17 times in this sermon, maybe more profound than that. Jesus in this sermon doesn't even say the word God. The only way he refers to God is Father. (laughs) He doesn't even, that's not Lord or Almighty or just Father. Jesus is making a profound statement about how it is that you and I need to slow down and hear who God is. And I say that knowing that there's all kinds of, again, baggage in the room. My mom's on her fifth marriage. My real dad walked out when she was nine months pregnant. He didn't want me. My, my adopted father, my mom's third husband, left us when he got tired of being a dad. I got crazy abandonment issues. When God insists on me knowing him as father, he's not further abusing me, just reminding me of bad memories. He's not dumb to my daddy issues. He's eyes wide open on all my stuff and your stuff and the stuff of everyone's stuff. He's eyes wide open. And the reason he insists on father is because he's trying to redeem something that's been broken on all of us. Even the, be- even the best dads in here, he's trying to show how his fatherhood far exceeds that. And so even if you don't know what a good dad looks like, instinctively you know what it should be. Even if you don't know, like, abuse is not what it should be. No show is not what it should be. Oppressive is not what it should be. Hypercritical is not what it should be, right? Like, there's, I, I could have a list of things. It's not what it should be. Instinctively, you know what it should be. Those instincts aren't an accident. No one had to teach you those. Those are hardwired instincts that God has given to you to point you to true fatherhood. So so imagine with me for a second. Imagine with me a father that you have, you don't have to prove yourself to. Imagine with me a father that you don't have to fear being in his presence. No eggshells. Imagine with me a father where you don't have to work up your speech before you say something to him. You don't have to hedge your bets. Imagine a father where there's no blow-ups. There's never a moment where there's like a out of nowhere fly off the handle. Imagine a father that keeps all of his promises. All of them. Now, get out of your imagination for a second because that's reality. That's re- that, that wasn't just your imagination. That's reality with God. We don't feel it's true, but we need our our feelings to catch up with what's true. Good news. Our Father has just told us to ask. Can you help me with that? Let me just say it this way. The only risk, the only risk that you run in learning to see and interact with God as Father, the only risk you run is that you would live the rest of your life thinking too little of him as father. 
It's the only risk. You can't outstretch him. You can't outdream him. You can't outcast a vision on him of what fatherhood should be. You can't place him on too high a pedestal out of fear that he might fall off of it. Fatherhood is his idea. He fulfills it. Right? And so with that in mind, let's get back to what he's saying here in our baggage. He's a good father. He gives good things to those who ask. No good father gives his kids everything they ask for. No good father does that. Again, I'm a father of four, right? Just yesterday, I'm just going to give you an example of yesterday. If I gave my kids everything they asked for yesterday, I would be in serious credit card debt. Their faces would have melted from screen consumption and they would be hospitalized from sugar intake. Yesterday. Everyone who asks receives. That doesn't mean you receive a yes. A good father gives good things. And that doesn't always mean you get an explanation. When I said no to my daughter on her third donut, she couldn't understand why I would say no. It's sugar bread, dad. It's good. It's not good for you. Explain that to me. I could try, but you won't understand. Everyone who asks receives, even if it means a no, and even if you don't get an explanation, it doesn't mean he's not good. It means you don't understand. And you wouldn't if he tried. He's, he's a good father. He gives good things. He gives only good things. I'm so glad God hasn't given me everything I've asked for. So glad. So even if I'm busted, and yet I try to give my kids good things, how much more so with God? How much more so? Now I know with like, <laughs> as I wrote this down, I thought with every question that gets answered, there's like a, a new question that you have. You go, okay, I hear what you're saying, I get that. But I've asked for some good things I didn't get. Like I've asked for... I've asked for someone who's suffering with cancer to be healed, and they weren't. It's not a bad ask. I, I've, asked, I've asked for things that are good. What, what's the problem with that? Right? So, so I, don't, I don't know. And anyone who tells you they do is, is a liar, right? I, I don't know why certain prayers get answered and why other prayers for the same things don't get answered. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Every betrayal, every injustice, every, every illness, every wrongdoing, every collapse, will in the fullness of time be made to right. And I'm not just speaking trite Christian language to say your problems aren't real problems. What's beautiful about Jesus is he also walks into those who are weeping and he weeps with them. Jesus tells us, you will have trouble. But he's also telling us right here, but you will also have a father. But you will also have a dad. 
The second thing that we got to understand about this passage, and we're, we're, we're driving this thing to a close. The second thing we understand about this passage is prayer is primarily about communion. Number one thing we understand about this passage is that God is Father. The second thing is that prayer is primarily about communion. So, so let me say it this way. The best thing in your life, by definition, in order for it to be a best thing, it can't be taken from you, it can't be stolen, and it can't die. Or else it's not a best thing because it's super temporary, right? If it can be stolen, taken, or die, it might be great. My kids are awesome. My wife is amazing, massive blessing. My friends, my community, some possessions. But by definition, if it can be taken, die, or stolen, it's not the thing that can sustain me. Prayer is primarily about communion with God. So when Jesus delays, you're like, why are you delaying on this answer? When Jesus delays in our prayer life, it's because he's building into us something that we can take with us long after the request is granted is no longer needed. Right? So like, God, I'm looking for a spouse, and yet there's delay on finding a spouse. He's building into you character, trust in his goodness that you can take with you long after, even if he grants that request, that request is no longer needed. You still have muscles and reflexes and testimonies built up of faithfulness and goodness. Everything in this world might be wiped out with a storm. The thing that will not be wiped out but you'll carry with you for the next trillions of years will be trust in the goodness of of God as Father. That's what makes heaven, heaven. You don't stop trusting once you're there. You just trust in full panoramic view. Right? So the reason that Christianity doesn't make sense to some of you is because it's really never been about Jesus. The reason that prayer doesn't make sense to some of you is because it's never really been about getting close to him. It's only been about request. Right? Right? We spend so much time praying for things that can be stolen, taken away, or die. You've made Christianity about morals. You've made Christianity about getting stuff. You've made Christianity about feeling better about yourself. And it's no wonder why over time you think God is boring. Because those things are boring. He's not boring. He holds the universe together by the word of his mouth. Not boring. When we're bored with God, we are the problem. We are the problem. Prayer is not about getting, it's about communion. Communion. So there's one more verse that Jesus gives us. Let me look at it as we land. Verse 12. It says, So whatever you wish that others do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. <laughs> Feels like, okay, left turn. No, no, no. Look, the, word, the verse begins with the word so or therefore. It means this. If this is how God treats you, think about how God treats you. He doesn't give you stones or snakes. He responds. He hears. He's present. He's for you. He's not against you. He's sympathetic. He's forgiving. He's releasing. He's a good father. He gives good things. He's not, right? 
If this is how God treats you, that kind of communion anchors you to flow out into the world to offer that same kind of treatment to those around you. How do I treat other people? How does God treat you? And those people are made in his image. Thus, the golden rule has a lot of theological anchoring. Right? 